Welcome to QuackCast 36. Hi-ho, Silver. Again, this is a reconfiguration of an SBM blog, adding more snarky comments and updated thanks to the comments to the SBM blog. All the references are on the SBM blog, and you just have to click the links if you want the original literature. So let's get into Hi-ho, Silver. I was making rounds at the hospital, and for some strange reason, I was being asked about influenza. There's something about influenza going on right now? Anyway, this is not going to be an entry on influenza. But I was asked if there's anything besides the vaccines that can prevent influenza. Well, masks and good hand washing will help, I said. And don't inhale for the next three months. It worked for Clinton. Anything else, I was asked? Well, a nurse suggested colloidal silver. I said there was nothing to colloidal silver. With what I can only describe as a withering look, she opined that not only had she never had the flu because she took colloidal silver, but she has a friend whose tumor has been in remission for six years because of colloidal silver. I was about to pontificate that association is not causation and point out that since I started wearing my current pair of work shoes, I, too, have never had the flu. If I wake up and I'm not feeling very good, and I'm thinking I'm coming down with something, I put on those shoes and I do not get any illness. I've not had the flu since wearing those shoes. So how is the evidence for my shoes different from your evidence for the efficacy of colloidal silver? Alas, only in a podcast do I could say alas. Alas, I did not get to pontificate. She had to respond to an alarm, and I had to move on to the next patient, so we have yet to have the opportunity to converse further on the topic, which is good, because it occurred to me that I did not know much about colloidal silver beyond the fact that it can turn you blue. So this podcast is my attempt to prepare for my next discussion with a colloidal silver proponent. Silver is an antiseptic, not an antibiotic. It has the advantage of most antiseptic in that organisms do not easily become resistant, and it does kill a large number of pathogens, and it's used clinically all the time. Silver is impregnated, and I've never liked that word, into catheters to prevent infections. I get this mental picture that I just don't like. Silver nitrate has been put in the eyes of newborns for years to prevent gonorrhea. How does a newborn get gonorrhea in their eyes, you ask? Well, from mom during delivery. All I can say is, ew. Various formulations of silver have been tried to aid wound healing with, I think, little effect. And silvadine, which is silver sulfasalazine, has long been used to treat burns, although its efficacy, when compared to everything from honey to aloe, is often found wanting. So there is variable clinical data to perhaps support the use of topical, note the word topical, forms of silver to prevent or treat some infections. I do admit to an affinity to suggesting honey or sugar for chronic wounds, but that will be the topic of another quack cast. And there are also uses of silver for water purifications. So there is legitimate reasons to use silver as an antiseptic. But the purpose of this podcast is not topical uses of silver, 
but the ingestion of silver as a treatment for infections or other diseases. Now, isopropyl alcohol, i.e. rubbing alcohol, is also great as a topical antiseptic. I would not, however, recommend drinking it. It will ruin your apple teeny. Ancient wisdom, which is always a reliable guide for determining effective practice, for example, cupping, bleeding, purging, all popular therapies back in the day. Silver has often been used because of ancient wisdom. Supposedly, silver containers were used by the ancients to keep water and other fluids, presumptively fluids they were going to eat, fresh. Or so the colloidal silver websites say. I cannot find independent verification of this fact. Perhaps they kept water in silver because silver is pretty and it's rare and it's easy to make into a container and very good for demonstrating your wealth. And we are attributing the antiseptic properties to it retroactively. The websites also say that our forefathers, I have one father, would put a silver dollar into milk to keep it fresher longer. Now the only independent verification I can find is a middle school science project where, yes, the silver dollar did keep milk fresher at room temperature two days longer than control. Thank you, Adam Z. McClowski, for that bit of research. I suspect, however, that the colloidal silver sites, say that three times real fast, were not referring to the middle school science project of Adam Z. McClowski as evidence of the effect of silver to prevent milk spoilage. And if there are studies that predate that science project and are the source material for suggesting that a silver dollar in milk decreases spoilage, they are beyond my meager Google abilities. Nor did I find independent verification that royalty are called blue bloods because they took in too much silver due to chronic silver exposure from eating off of silver utensils. I do find it odd that colloidal silver sites would mention this, since it is evidence of toxicities that they often deny occurs in other sections of the same websites. The other option for blue bud is that they were pale and that their veins stood out. I don't know if that's true either. But most importantly, silver repels vampires, and a silver bullet is the only way to kill a werewolf. Werewolf? Werewolf. Now, while the werewolf lore is pretty true, I'm not so certain about silver and vampires. The efficacy seems to depend on which vampiric universe you are in. Now, Angel gave Buffy what appeared to be a silver friendship ring, and, oh God, I am such a dork. It's a miracle that anybody pays any attention to what I say. Let's move on. The use of apocryphal information appears to be standard in the colloidal... Literature. It is rare, as we will continue to see, to have so little verifiable information about even the goofy-ass alternative therapy. As I have blathered on about before, users of alternative therapies seem not to be comfortable with nuance and subtlety, and, I think, prefer black-and-white binary approaches. Mercury in one form is toxic. So all forms of mercury are toxic, like thimerosal. Some forms of silver are beneficial, so all forms of silver are a benefit, including colloidal silver. 
The inability to deal with shades of gray, except for silver toxicity, is a hallmark of many forms of alternative therapy. Most metals kill even at low concentrations. Although I had not heard of it by this name until preparing this podcast, that's referred to as the oligodynamic effect. The Wikipedia says, quote, the oligodynamic effect was discovered in 1893 by Swiss Carl Wilhelm von Negli as a toxic effect of metal ions on living cells, algae, molds, spores, fungus, virus, prokaryotic, amateur karyotic, and eukaryotic organisms, even in a relatively low concentration. This antimicrobial effect is shown by ions of Mercury, silver, copper, iron, lead, zinc, bismuth, gold, aluminum, or aluminium for our British listeners, and other metals, end quote. As best I can tell, silver was used as a medicine for years by grinding it up and suspending it in water. The problem is that the water is not dissolved, but is a suspension, and it rapidly settles out of solution. What people were looking for at the turn of the century was a way to keep the silver in suspension. Colloids occur when one substance is evenly distributed in another without being dissolved, like antibodies or albumin in blood, or fat in milk. Proteins like albumin have the advantage of binding metals like silver and allow them to stay in suspension for long periods of time. Quote, the broader commercial definition of colloidal silver includes products that contain various concentrations of ionic silver, silver colloids, ionic silver compounds, or bound proteins in purified water. Colloidal silver with concentration of 30 parts per million or less are typically manufactured using an electrolysis process, therefore the users don't have unsightly black hair, whereas colloidal silver with higher concentrations of 50 parts per million or more are usually silver compounds that have been bound with a protein, unquote. In the form of colloidal silver, it is ingested for various health benefits, but especially to treat infections. How many infections can colloidal silver treat? Quote, Colloidal silver safely kills over 650 disease-causing bacteria, viruses, parasites, and molds, and has no negative side effects. End quote. You will see that number, 650, on every website. 650? Wow! It could almost be the Battle of Thermopylae, but there's twice as many bacteria as needed. Where did that 650 come from? It, evidently, was pulled out of someone's butt in a 1976 Science Digest article entitled, quote, Our Mightiest Germ Fighter, end quote, which was a discussion not of colloidal silver, which is getting increasingly hard for me to say, but of silver sulfasalazine, a.k.a. silvadine, and other topical uses of silver. And nowhere in the article is that 650 validated. It was a number that appears to have been invented by the headline writer. Not that Science Digest is a peer-reviewed journal and has to have a reference for their headline, but that 650 has taken on a life of its own like 98.6 being normal body temperature. By the way, 98.6 is not normal body temperature. It is not the median, the mean, or even the mode 
of normal body temperature. But that is a topic of another blog, he says, plugging Rubor, Dolor, Kalor, two more. Many of the colloidal silver sites, try saying that three times real fast, trumpet this number on their websites. I get 43,000 Google hits for colloidal silver kills over 650 as a search term. But 650 is so sciencey, even if it is made up. And it is so close to the mark of the beast. So close. As we know from Daniel verse 32 through 33, what the beast looks like, quote, his head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver. Will colloidal silver give you the mark of the beast? I wonder. The evidence that colloidal silver will give you the mark of the beast is certainly as robust as the rest of the colloidal silver, he says, making quote marks in the air, literature. Could silver kill 650 various and sundry organisms? I would not be surprised if it was in the right concentration. As mentioned above, silver is toxic to damn near every kind of cell, so it should kill germs, and it does, like mercury or gold or silver or bismuth. In its elemental form and its ionic form, they are toxic and will kill all living things at the right temperature. Again, as will isopropyl alcohol. But ingestion may not be such a good idea. Many chemicals can kill a wide variety of bacteria in the test tube. The question is whether they have the same effects in humans or animals. So, like all good clinicians, I go to the silver mine of medical information, PubMed, looking for the antimicrobial effects of colloidal silver. And I find nothing. I am talking colloidal silver of the type sold on the interwebs. There are references of various formulations of silver compounds like silver nitrate, and there are articles on silver nanoparticles, but no published references in PubMed about colloidal silver. Now, it has been suggested that nanoparticles are indeed colloidal silver, but best as I can tell, they are manufactured differently than the commercial products. There are no test tube studies, no animal studies, no case reports, no clinical trials. As far as I can tell, the medical industrial complex is, outside of toxicities, completely unaware of any supporting data of any kind for the use of colloidal silver. The interwebs do allow access to susceptibility tests of colloidal silver that are published by the companies that make colloidal silver products. Fortunately, conflicts of interest are not part of the Altmed world so we do not need to worry that they may have had ulterior motives in publishing this data. I know I am a tool of the medical-industrial complex and all, but I never get dime one from advertising or selling the drugs and products I recommend. It always makes me snigger when I see the scam products touted on the scam sites. Somehow, people in favor of product X always seem to sell product X. But you know the old saying, go to Midas, get a muffler. Sarcasm aside, the studies measure growth of bacteria in various concentrations of colloidal silver products, and as the concentrations increase, the bacteria die more quickly. That's the usual dose effect of a poison. They also mention that bacteria can't become resistant to silver. Always a mistake, for to quote the Borg, resistance is inevitable, as E. coli have demonstrated. There was a strain of E. coli isolated that was resistant to silver, by its inability to take up silver. So, 
in the test tube, silver kills viruses and bacteria and fungus, and in the right concentrations, probably lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Is there an animal model for oral silver to treat infections? Nope. Are there case reports? Nope. Retrospective case series? Nah. Randomized placebo-controlled trials? No. Nothing. So, outside the test tube, zip, zilch, nil, nada. As an ID doc, the rule is always that in vitro, test tube, susceptibility does not always equal in vivo in the human efficacy. But I would bet, like with isopropyl alcohol, you could kill off germs with silver, but you would take the patient with you. It's the old destroying the village to save it. So, there's no data to support silver to treat infections in people. What about cancer? It's been suggested, usually with identical wording on website after website, that, quote, Dr. Bjorn Nordstrom of the Karolinska Institute, Sweden, has used silver in his cancer cure method for many years. This brought rapid remission in patients given up on by other doctors, end quote. Now, I do not know who first used this sentence, so I am uncertain who to credit with the first use of this phrase, but it is found word for word on damn near every colloidal silver website. But here's the weird thing. Although Dr. Nordstrom and his partner, Dr. J.C. Penny, is credited with the same breakthrough with exactly the same sentence in site after site, I can find no English language reference to confirm that there is a Bjorn Nordstrom or any details as to how he used silver for a cancer cure. Dr. Nordstrom has not published on PubMed, and the only reference on the interwebs to a Dr. Nordstrom is in Swedish. On that page, however, the Swedish word for silver, silvret, S-I-L-V-R-E-T, is not to be found. Now, there is evidently a Dr. Born Nordenstrom, not Nordstrom, who treated cancer 30 years ago by running electrical current through cancer using, get this, silver-tipped electrodes. But he was using electric current to treat the cancer. The silver just happened to be part of the electrode and was not being used directly to kill the tumor. I am surprised that the colloidal silver people did not use the fact that he drove a silver Volvo to work as evidence that silver works for cancer. Such is the strength of their data. And I suspect that he is married to Betty Crocker. So for what diseases is there evidence for which colloidal silver is efficacious? Well, nothing. PubMed is silent on taking colloidal silver to benefit any disease, infection or otherwise. There are no clinical trials or anything to support the use of colloidal silver. There is, however, little to suspect that colloidal silver taken orally would be of benefit, but there are not even basic pharmacokinetic studies to show how much colloidal silver in a given preparation is absorbed. Nothing. Now we know that it is absorbed as there are multiple cases of Argyria reported in the literature. Argyria is where the silver gets irreversibly into the skin and you turn not silver, but blue or blue-gray. It is an unusual side effect, but the only documented effect of prolonged ingestion of silver. One wonders about the Smurf water supply. 
EPA site, which does review silver kinetics, mostly quotes dog data. It does suggest that selenium deficiency may increase the risk of argyria, perhaps the body taking up silver instead of selenium. Or perhaps those who get argyria are better at absorption or worse at excretion of the silver. Given the rarity of the complication, it does suggest some sort of pre-existing predisposition. Or, perhaps, not everybody is really getting silver in what they purchase. To quote Quackwatch, quote, In 1995, a herbal, or for our English people, herbal, distributor named Leslie Taylor tested nine commonly marketed colloidal silver products available at health food stores and concluded two of the products were contaminated with microorganisms. Big surprise. The amount of silver suspended in solution varied from product to product and would gradually decrease over time. End quote. Also from Quackwatch, quote, the FDA laboratory studies have found that the amount of silver in some product samples has varied from 15% to 124% of the amount listed on the product labels. I think it would be a lot cheaper to make the product if the only silver was on the label, not in the solution. And remember, if you are not part of the solution, you are part of the precipitate. If you Google colloidal silver, you will find multiple sites where you can purchase various formulations of colloidal silver with variable concentrations of silver. It is entertaining in a weird way to read these websites, as all the purveyors of these nostrums agree that theirs is the one true formulation of silver and that all the other forms of colloidal silver are flawed with the wrong size of silver molecule or the wrong preparation. I'll give you an example, this one from the BioAlternative website, and this is typical of silver proponents. Quote, some scrupulous marketers even go so far as to present themselves as unbiased scientists with graphs and charts and numbers, all meant to mislead people into believing their competitors' products are low quality. These deceitful schemes are merely intended to drive consumers to buy products that are the unbiased scientists profit from. We believe this practice to be unethical, to say the least. Here at Bio Alternatives, we will not waste your time filling your head with promotional rubbish. No mega PPMs, no special colors, no high voltage magic potions. We make and market our colloidal silver the old fashioned way. Safe, effective, and affordable. End quote. Phew, I am so relieved. So which one is the true colloidal silver preparation? Evidently all of them, or I suppose none of them. One seller, and I'll tell you, many of these people really need to pay for a web designer, sells increasing concentrations of colloidal silver with the higher concentrations for the most severe infections. They charge $1,500 for six bottles to treat severe life and death infections such as Ebola, dengue fever, malaria, SARS, and West Nile virus. Pretty good. There appears to be as many silver formulations as there are silver sellers. And if you are a do-it-yourself kind of guy, you can make your own colloidal silver and people will sell you the equipment. What perpetuates the use of colloidal silver are not biologic plausibility and clinical trials, but testimonials 
like the nurse who suggested silver to prevent H1N1. The interwebs are filled with unsubstantiated testimonials, from common infections to unusual infections, including one gentleman crediting colloidal silver rather than his vancomycin and genomycin for the cure of his subdural empyema, which is pus between the brain and the skull, and usually fatal. And testimonials will always have more power than any science, except, curiously, for my shoe testimonial that I mentioned at the start. No one seems to think that my shoes have antiviral effects. Go figure. The FDA, with little effect to judge from the interwebs, has declared that colloidal silver is neither safe nor effective and, as an unclassified drug, cannot be sold for medical reasons. Even the National Center of Complementary and Alternative Medicine, who rarely finds any alternative therapy without some caveat to support its use, says, quote, Silver has no known function in the body. Silver is not an essential mineral supplement or a cure-all and should not be promoted as such. Claims that there can be a deficiency of silver in the body and that such a deficiency can lead to disease are unfounded. Claims about the effectiveness of colloidal silver products for numerous diseases are unsupported scientifically. Silver products can have serious side effects. Laboratory analysis has shown that amounts of silver in supplements vary greatly, which can pose risk to the consumer, end quote. Now, if the National Center of Complementary and Alternative Medicine can be that clear-headed, I think that must be further data of an impending apocalypse. Because as I mentioned above, colloidal silver is part of the mark of the beast. Of course, this review leaves me with blanks in my science-based medicine gun. I have no data to say that there is no reason to use colloidal silver. To combat the testimonials I have, well, nothing. No science. No substance. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but a testimonial is worth more than a thousand references. Colloidal silver is the Oakland of alternative medicine. There is no there there. Except for toxicity, all the supporting data I can find, the history, the 650 germs killed, Dr. Bjorn Nordstrom, the testimonials, the formulations of colloidal silver are all based on unverifiable information or apparently completely made up. It is a house of mirrored silver cards. However, if the Blue Man Group is looking for members, I know a potential source that will really save on makeup costs. So that, my friends, is the end of this podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, listen to my other podcast, The Gobbit O Pus, The Daily Adventures of a Pus Whisperer, and my Puscast, a bi-monthly review of infectious disease literature. Don't forget, I can be read over at Rubor Dolor Kalor Tumor and on the Science-Based Medicine blog. Feel free to log on to iTunes and write a glowing review of this podcast to feed my fragile yet somehow ravenous ego. You're welcome, of course, to click the Pay Me Some Money button and help support the podcast bandwidth. If not, you can buy me a beer at the Infectious Disease Society of America meeting in Philadelphia over the Halloween weekend. I'm bummed I'm going to be in Philly for Halloween. And finally, if you write me an email, I'm going to ignore it. I got 2,000 unanswered emails in my Gmail box, and it just makes me feel guilty. But 
I'm still not answering them. So until next time, bye-bye and bye-bonds. Thank <laughs> you.